Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. In each episode, we seek to shine a light on successful progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer practical ideas to help drive change. And today we're going to be exploring the topic of inclusivity without alienation. Throughout the series, so many of our guests have argued for or have supported the premise that in order to achieve true diversity, this must be accompanied by true inclusion. In an appetite to encourage greater inclusive representation, how do we avoid the risk of potential overswing and the risk of alienation. And today I'm joined by Robert Baker, Senior Partner and Global Client Director at Mercer, the international human resources consulting firm, and Steve Brown, Director of Empiric, Specialist Recruiter, with a focus on data, digital, cloud, and security. Robert Baker is a member of Mercer's multinational client group responsible for maintaining and developing key global client relationships across every business line and around the world. He has a strong interest in diversity and inclusion, a member of the steering committee for Mercer's European Women's Networks. He is also a member of the firm's UK Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Council. And a key part of his focus is to drive change as one of the leaders on Men Matter, an initiative to engage men at Mercer in gender equality. Robert, welcome. Hi, Julia. Thanks very much. Steve Brown started his career in recruitment with a global recruiter before joining Empiric in 2007 to help the management team grow the business. Over the past decade, Steve has progressed through the ranks, building out his London team, developing new and existing client relationships all throughout the recruitment process whilst also being heavily involved in day-to-day operations. As a director, Steve is focused on helping clients hire more diverse and inclusive talent and to benefit from the performance opportunities that true diversity can offer. Steve, welcome. Hello, Julia. At the start of each show, we invite each guest to tell us a bit about what they're up to. So, Robert, let me start with you. Well, uh, let me just start by saying that actually I'm very proud to work at Mercer, the uh, global consulting firm. In fact, actually, I've spent 40 years there uh, just this January. Uh, And um, I mean, one of the reasons for that really is I like the supportive culture we've created. I get to work with amazing colleagues and uh, amazing clients as well. And there's there's lots of development, um, you know, potential uh, professionally. Um, And, you know, one of the things that Mercer is very committed to is gender balance. And in fact, we publish When Women Thrive research, which basically highlights how organisations can thrive by uh, really accessing all of the talent and and basically making sure that women get opportunities uh, throughout the talent pipeline and at the top in, in leadership. Uh, so I'm very proud to be working for an organisation that's very committed to that. The most recent initiative you mentioned that I've been working on is Men Matter at Mercer, where we've invited men to support and help advance gender balance in our organisation. And I'll speak a bit more about that later. The other thing is that Mercer supported me uh, to, to really join and uh, become on, uh, a member of the board for PWN Global, which is one of the leading uh, global women's networks. Um, and I took that role on four years ago as the vice president for engaging men. And I'm now actually the co-president of the women's network. Um, and this is a kind of global network with um, you know three and a half thousand members in 29 cities, etc. So really delighted to be uh, working in that space and, and getting the experience from doing Wonderful. that as Congratulations. well. By the way, on on the appointment, and just to unpick the acronyms, uh, the PWN. Sorry, Professional Women's Network. It actually um, dropped. 
professional women's network just called itself PWN now because we want to include men. Which makes perfect sense. Wonderful. Robert, thank you very much indeed. So so Steve, uh, talk, tell us about what you're focused on at the moment. So likewise, there's lots of things that we're doing at Empiric. Um, you know, we're a, a growing company in ourselves, and uh, you know, I'm happy that I've been there now. This will be moving into my 11th year. So I joined when there was only three of us and it was three guys. Um, now we're just over 100 people. And Along that journey, we or very early on within that journey, we actually worked out that diversity was going to be key to our growth. So we started doing what we could as we grew and as we hit things as well that, you know, when we had our first mum go on maternity leave, um, she'd been with us for um, six years and we didn't want to lose her. She'd been with us training development manager from 13 staff to 50. Um, And that led us to then review our maternity and paternity policy. Um, So we now show parity to same-sex couples. Um, We pay three months full pay after a year, six months after um, three years. But we now offer the primary parent um, flexible working for up to 18 months where they can work remotely. But they um, they adopt an hourly rate equivalent of their salary. And that's worked brilliantly. Um, From an LGBT perspective, we... Um, we're, we're Stonewall champions. We, we go on the London Pride Parade, um, as a business. And it's one of the, you know, considering it's a Saturday, it's people's spare time. Um, we have such a high attendance rate. It's more that people don't go because they've already got other plans rather than that they don't want to go. Um, and that's really the key that we've realized as a business that to really get the value out of diversity, um, and make it that you, you you present yourself as inclusive is by engagement and involvement. Particularly, gender balance is an issue. Um, obviously, all diversity is important, but the gender balance at the moment, obviously figures float around, but it's, say, 17% women in tech. We've got increasing demands from clients that are looking to balance their gender, but then looking for ways for how. Because if there's only 17% women, you know, we're a recruitment company and we can just move talent around, and we're quite happy doing that. Don't get me wrong. But we we then put our heads together at the beginning of 2016 to see what could we do as a business that could utilise our skills and networks to have a real impact. And that's where we've launched, um, and it's a programme that I head up, but um, was uh, jointly sort of formulated as an idea by my, my CEO, Sam Kamyar, um, called Next Tech Girls. And what that is, is we are facilitating tech work experience for girls in school, so from ages 14, 15 plus, out in tech departments across industry. Um, since launch, we're, we're now approaching 350 girls that we've placed. Um, we've got links with 129 schools across London. Um, in our first year, we engaged 72 companies to actually either actually host or, or be ready to host girls. Um, and it's brilliant. You know, the feedback's been really positive from the girls saying it wasn't as they expected. They're now going to explore it further. And we're even getting grass shoots of, We've had um, one of our first Next Tech girls get offered a place at Ada's College um, next year. And that was a girl from South London that didn't necessarily have the link without our programme. We're then also getting companies feedback saying, you know, it was an amazing experience. You know, it's amazing the impact if you've got 20 guys on a dev team that if you have them host to 14, 15 year old girls, um, the, the, the way that it practically has an impact. The, always the best change starts from from within, and and I'm really interested in this kind of intersection between, you know, starting with a business that starts with three people and then grows to a hundred versus an organisation that is you know global in its scope, its scale, its its long heritage, and and the fact you know you were saying you've been there uh, a while, Robert. When when you think about um, you know everything that Steve's talked about and culture really came through very very clearly for that for me, but and also looking at some of the skills um, in your appetite for inclusivity. Are there any particular areas you focus on 
uh, in terms of bringing new talent in when you're trying to bring others around you to drive change? Thanks. And uh, I think what's absolutely key is that, you know, we can certainly recruit uh, women into our organisation, but if we don't have a culture and we don't have an environment that supports women, uh, they're not necessarily going to stay very long. And and when you look at organisations globally, uh, you see a real thinning out of the female talent as you go up through the ranks of the organisation. It's almost as if, you know, women women find that the environment is not one that's necessarily conducive to them. And actually, we're also finding now that men are feeling that that environment isn't necessarily working for them as well if they can't work flexibly, if they can't take enough paternity leave, etc. So um, one of the things that we stress really is uh, it's good to get the women in and certainly we're doing that. I think you know, globally, we're achieving that. Um, but we've also got to make it an environment where they feel that they can stay and they can thrive and they can get to the top if that's where they want to get to. And that's where a lot of the work's got to be done. Because at the moment, we still have a situation where it's 80% of men in executive or 80% of executive positions are held by men. And, um, you know, we have a thinning talent pipeline as we go up. And, and you know, the core of that is, is all about retention. Because the, the risk is actually when you're retaining and, uh, you know, the, the number of jobs almost thin out as you, as you go through the ranks is that it becomes almost a binary discussion about is it a man or is it going to be a woman if there are limited seats around a boardroom table, for example. Um and, and key to that is it's not about displacement necessarily. It's about inclusion and, and getting men to support the career journey of women and not feel threatened by that. Is that something that you look at and you think about? Well, no, absolutely. Because um, <laughs> what we're really pointing out is that unless organisations grow and thrive, um, there's not going to be jobs for women, men or any gender. Uh, so uh, I think basically what we've got to uh, really convince people about is that there's a business case for doing this. There's a business case for more gender equality and more gender balance and that actually is that the organization will be able more easily to innovate and grow and um, there's, there's lots of good statistics around that show that companies that have uh, higher proportions of women in their leadership actually perform better the credit suisse 3500 uh, study for example shows that so it's it's convincing um, men and women that uh, having gender balance is good for the organization and then obviously part of what we're doing as well is convincing men that gender balance is good for them um, because it's not a zero sum game actually the pie can increase for everybody and if the pie increases for everybody that means there are opportunities for men that get it and, and, and women that get it. And uh, hopefully then, um, you know, we can achieve uh, gender balance without alienating uh, people. And, and how, do, how do you do that? I mean, there's some practical things that you, you there are programs you're running. How, how do you do that? Uh, well, with the Men Matter program, for example, that we, 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 we launched, uh, basically, I kind of reached out to men that I thought might be interested in this and might be supportive of it. And then I spoke to female colleagues about men that they thought might be uh, interested and supportive. And basically, I sent out a note to, to all of these um, men and said, look, you know, we men need to help. We need to step up. Um, we're going to have a meeting. And we're, we're all going to get together. We're going to discuss how we can do this. And so I wrote out, and actually 100 men put their hand up to get involved in this first meeting. And it was quite um, kind of interesting, actually, to be in a room. Uh, actually, I think in the end, there were about 65 men there in the room. Uh, and it was kind of interesting to be in a room with all men. Think, you know, uh, it, it did seem a bit odd, actually, uh, given my women's network work, etc. But what was really good was um, that the men felt, almost liberated 
to be able to talk about what their real ambitions were. And it wasn't necessarily about working 24-7 and, you know, going for the ultimate in uh, career progress. A, a lot of those men wanted to have work-life balance. They wanted to uh, be able to uh, work more flexibly. They wanted to take paternity leave. And it was almost kind of a relief to know that there are other men in the organisation that felt the same way. So I think basically it was reaching out to men that we kind of knew would be interested, but then almost uniting them together, showing them that we had a lot of men with common interest. Mm -hmm. And already what we've seen is the whole conversation with Immerse has changed about being a man within Mercer, and um, and and what that's meant is that now the the conversations change, the culture's changing, uh, where men now talk more openly about their commitments outside of work. You know, and the women can see that they're picking up on that, and they can see that the environment's changing. Um, and one thing we did in this meeting, actually, which was very powerful, uh, was we I made a video. I've got a video made uh, of women at Mercer talking about what it was like to be a woman at Mercer, some of the challenges that they faced. And when we played this video back to the men, they were like gobsmacked at, uh, you know, kind of like some of the challenges these women were talking about. Well, 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 things like, for example, being stereotyped into certain roles and being assumed that they weren't necessarily hungry for promotion um, or uh, assumed they were junior in certain situations, etc. Um, so um, really... Uh, what these women were saying to the men was, listen, we're as ambitious, we're as um, you know, able to achieve as you are, um, but we need the opportunity, we need you to, to stop the biases, if you like, uh, against us. Um, and, and as I say, that really opened the men's eyes. And at the end of the meeting, the men came out of it making uh, quite a number of commitments to how they would go away and change their own uh, departments and divisions. And we've actually seen quite a bit of change coming through as a result of that. And, and when, when was this programme started? So we, we started um, last May okay. and we've been working on it. Uh, so, so very then. soon you'll have your your sort of first year coming up and it'll be interesting to see see how the results have been. And are you measuring the impact and what, what are those metrics? You're, well, that, that, yeah, you're that's a great at? question because I, I, I think um, certainly one of the things we're looking at is what does it feel like in the organisation? Does it feel like we are changing the conversation, we're changing the culture? Um, are uh, are people more engaged around this? And, and are, are women more engaged? And do they see change? Uh, and I think from the engagement scores, we'll see over time that there will be uh, an enhancement in, in that. You know, are our teams working more effectively? Do we feel we're better connected now with the customers? So some of these are kind of softer measures, but actually in the end, um, you know, the, the, the end result is going to be, are we working more effectively? Are we achieving better results? And, you know, it's early days yet, but obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at all of that stuff as we as we go through. And there's, there's a really kind of key word that came out of that, which was which is also for our customers, ultimately. And 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 Steve, I, I think, I mean, you're, you're, the customers you're recruiting for, and I'm also thinking about about the the, the, you know, the partly the the tech girls um, initiative that you've got going, but also in the world of recruitment, is are you seeing some pressure from customers to to uh, get engaged with the initiatives that you're driving? Uh, what, what are those customer pressures you're seeing come through? Yeah, definitely, and and to be honest, it's quite refreshing because you know just touching on what Robert's saying there in terms of you know the men in you know, when it comes to a gender program um it's amazing how engaged you know obviously we're saying within tech there are a lot of senior men a lot of CIOs CTOs are men um but they're really buying into this um and but at companies you know, they've you've you've got a lot of pressure that is going on so you've got obviously there's at board level this is a topic um when you're actually looking at it even if you're not looking at it, say the 
which some people won't be necessarily the altruistic and the, the, the sort of true diversity benefits, um, you can even look at it just at the pure business level as well. You know, there's, there's equal measure here. This is actually, there should be equality across all strands. You know, having more balanced teams creates better products, creates better engagement with your customers, um, and and it's going to improve your bottom line. So it's kind of like all of these things are now coming together. It's always business performance that will drive change uh, because, you know, and speaking of the world of financial services, you know, let's call it for what it is. It's, this is, these are nice to haves, but it's ultimately, it's about driving uh, bottom line, gaining a competitive edge. And I think that's where things are actually, where change is really starting to take place now, because obviously a lot of companies may have just bolted on initiatives through pressure um, or through needing to look to be, seem to be doing the right thing um when they are these siloed isolated things well if times start tightening up then perhaps those programs don't continue whereas now if it's integrated on the fact that no this is just going to make us a better business and going to make us more profitable well actually then it needs to exist it needs to just it's just part of day to day and and can you can you give some examples of where um where, where those true benefits have come through. So again, I, I come back to this whole thing about metrics and measurements is, you know, an anonymous customer that has actually got the joke, driven change and, and seen some commercial benefit. So if, again, if I just leap, lift out of some of the things from the programme. Um, so we, we started this thinking we just want to inspire girls and give them an opportunity to see what's going on and make an informed decision rather than a perceived one. But actually a lot of the business benefits have then come without us realising. So um, the Department for Work and Pensions, they hosted three 17-year-old girls in the Universal Tax Credit team. And um, one of them just came up with an idea in a meeting that then everyone was like, oh, scribbling down. And the service design team took that off and explored it further. So it was like, so from this programme, there's, you know, there's actual benefit there because these are customers of tomorrow. These are teenagers that are more digitally native than we are um, and they've got opinions they're not shy of sharing and they're not bounded by what's possible they just say well why did you do like that um, we've also had it that um, another company they were a little bit skeptical of doing work experience they're a small fintech startup um, but shared it and they had 30 people come forward saying we'd like to get involved and that was from different teams so then they weren't very mature of having any real networks well now they've got the nucleus of one um and then from hosting the girls um three people stood out for their mentoring skills this is a growing company they're hiring junior people so now they've said well actually through natural selection you were really great mentoring the 15 year olds you could have our next junior developers so there's i think the thing like anything if you approach it in the right way then you'll find the benefits if you do it as a box ticking exercise it'll just be done and you'll tick the box Whereas actually, if you look for the benefits, you know, this isn't, as I say to people, it's, it's kind of reinventing work experience. If you thought of work experience, be like, oh, you know, we've got to put up with someone for a week or two and find something for them to do, get them making coffee, photocopying. Actually, if we think, well, we've got an app and these are teenagers that use apps daily. Why don't we get them user acceptance testing it? And we'll explain that's a job that it's, and there's a career in it, but also we'll take all their feedback for free. And it's interesting you talk about that because there are some very specific benefits from, you know, taking a very different approach to engaging with talent. Um, and, and I love the, the kind of the, the fintech story. Thinking about this from a completely different end of, of the scale and, and a global organization. And, and Robert, I mean, your intention 
presumably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is to drive the inclusion initiatives at some scale. There, do you look to technology to help you do that? Are you, are you looking to combine these two worlds? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the um, I mentioned earlier, just using simple video technology, for example, and showing men what it's like, uh, you know, from a woman's perspective is 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 great. But actually, we went one step further. Um, and I was very lucky to meet uh, a lovely lady called Yasmin Boudiaf, who runs uh, a virtual reality experience um, uh, company. And um, as we got talking at an uh, innovation event, I was thinking, you know, I'm trying to bring men and women together and build empathy between men and women. Um, virtual reality can can do that as well, based on some of the things that she was telling me. So we sort of said, well, why don't we try working together and seeing if we can actually um, do something that would be practical and, and useful to help really move the needle on this. Uh, and so what we focused on was uh, some of these microaggressions that uh, maybe talked about before, which is, for example, in a meeting, men might assume that the woman's junior or ask her to take notes or talk over her or, or just assume she couldn't possibly be involved in for example, a tech project. Uh, and so what we did was, um, we didn't have a huge budget, we invited Yasmin in with her cameras, and we filmed some typical scenarios that she'd researched by reaching out to women and saying, what are the typical microaggressions that you've come across? And it was really interesting, because I've just, I'd just read the book Everyday Sexism by Laura Bates. And I thought, my God, this is a book that every man has got to read, because it talks about what it's really like, you know, a woman's experience, some of the harassment, some of the issues, etc. Um, anyway, so we put uh, a couple of um, uh, sort of programs together. Um, one actually was called Tech Project, funnily enough. And what we did was we filmed from the woman's perspective um, an interaction between uh, the boss, who's a man, coming in and talking to the man and the woman who've been working on the project. The boss that comes in spends all his time talking to the man about how well the project went and even said to the man, and we need someone to lead it, um, would you be prepared to do it? And completely ignored uh, the woman. So then we played that back to men and they could see from a woman's perspective what it's like to be involved in an interaction where you're completely ignored and your contributions dumbed down, etc. And most of the men that have seen that uh, virtual reality experience uh, have been shocked by what it's like to uh, be uh, treated in that way. And it's really opened their eyes. And they've said, you know, gosh, I, you know, I really do need to now check my behavior, check my attitude, how I work and, and, and interact with female colleagues. Um, and um, we were very lucky. We got invited to the Oslo Innovation Week in September uh, last year to talk about this and um, really sort of uh, show how it worked. And we had people with the goggles on, etc. And it was just a really uh, amazing experience. So I think actually that's something you can do at scale with a workshop. We're working on how we can do that. Um, and uh, it, of course, it's because it's using the new technology like virtual reality. It's, it's quite a sexy thing to be doing as well. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of men are quite interested in putting these goggles on and seeing what it's like. So actually, we're finding it's quite a powerful way to get that message across. And that the men are kind of wanting to, get, to do it. They want to put the goggles on. We're not alienating them. We're not saying you must put the goggles on. They're actually volunteering to do it. So it's, it's kind of a good way to, to really build the empathy in a way that uh, is you know, is inclusive with them. So given everything we've been talking about here is about uh, about gender, I, I, well, obviously one of the things we think about in the podcast is the entire spectrum, that is diversity and inclusion. Um, Steve, from your programmes working in gender, how do you look at the rest of the spectrum and drive change from what you've learned so far? So the way we're doing that is we, we, we want to look at 
all of the diversity strands. Um, some are a little bit more challenging than others, um, but you know, internally, and everything tends to start internally. It'll either be that we're experiencing something, or know that we're we're likely to. So, um, as I say, when we were three guys, we didn't have maternity per se to consider. But when it hit us first time, then it then that drove us into action. Um, you know, when from an LGBT perspective, we we hired an openly gay. Um, director and in having him come into the business and then starting imparting his perceptions his views his opinions of some of the things that were going on within the business it got us to reflect and then apply sort of changes what could we do um so we're we're always looking at how are we doing things internally because we want to attract the best talent internally for our growth and then how can we then filter that out um, so, you know, from the, the Next Tech Girls program, that's come about because um, internally we're looking at our gender balance because all of a sudden we looked around and it's like, hang on a minute, there's more guys. And why is that happening? You know, what can we do to make it different? Um, we launched a women's network internally. That then threw up some things that we didn't even notice. And it kind of made it real and practical, um, which I think is the key. Well, so one of the things is in our office, um, as you come in through our lifts, we've got a bar, a Formula One car and a golf simulator. Now, when we when we actually sort of implemented them, it was to make it that it was a jazzy office. You know, it's, there's not many offices you walk past the Formula One car and reception. But the feedback was, it's like, well, quite masculine. Unintentionally, though, it wasn't, you know, because actually... Ironically, there's a lot more women that jump in the Formula One car than men. It's, 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 it, it does balance out a little bit. Um, we've got some key quotes on our walls. So in our boardroom, we've got Warren Buffett's, it takes 20 years to build a relationship, it takes five minutes to ruin it. Um, we've got Steve Jobs on another. And it was one of the women that picked up of all six of them are men. And it was, again, that wasn't that we did it intentionally. And I think that's when you then click that it's like, well, that was unconscious. It, it, it genuinely was unconscious bias. Um, whereas often when you talk about unconscious bias or approach it, people I think can be a bit shut down of, oh no, it's this mumbo jumbo or, you know, I don't get it um, or I'm not it. Whereas then when you get an example like that, well, yeah, we decorated the office, but we didn't intentionally do it to, to put off women. But actually, if they're picking up on those little vibes, those little pointers that we're missing, well, then that could be putting them off. And the, and the environmental dynamic really has a has a, an important role to play in that. Hugely. And, and Julie, I was just thinking, actually, um, uh, as you were talking, Steve, about this. Um, one, I'm, my, I have a son who has Asperger's syndrome, and I've been working with groups who are trying to get people with Asperger's syndrome into work. And of course, um, Asperger. Uh, people are extremely good at spotting patterns, etc. So they, they often, you know, uh, have a real uh, tendency to sort of flow into technology type, uh, you know, employment situations. But what's really been interesting working with that group is about the adjustments you need to make in the working environment so that somebody coming in with Asperger syndrome feels comfortable in the office environment, that people understand, uh, for example, uh, that, that that they like things to be the same. So so if you start moving their desk around and, and changing things that are unexpected, that can really kind of freak them out. So um, I think when we think about diversity and inclusion, I mean, it's basically, as you say, uh, Julia, all different types. And I think, you know, increasingly we're starting to think about, okay, so how do we um, get, you know, neurological uh, differences and how do we get people with different ways of thinking into our organisation? It's a perfect moment to turn to Cynthia and Robert who have been looking out for industry research to support our discussion today. We've recently come across the term ambient belonging. Ambient belonging is feeling comfortable in a space somewhere you are accepted, valued and included. 
with subtle design choices, office environments may unintentionally discourage people from unrepresented backgrounds from feeling like they belong. So why does ambient belonging matter? In the study, Ambient Belonging, How Stereotypical Cues Impact Gender Participation in Computer Science, researchers examined the impact of ambient belonging by setting up two different web design offices. One was designed as the stereotypical tech office with Star Trek posters, video games and beer bottles, while the other was designed with more neutral themes like nature posters, coffee mugs and water bottles. When participants in the study were asked to look at the office spaces and choose where they'd like to work, women were far less likely to choose the company with the stereotypical office than men were. When women entered the stereotypical office, which contained objects that both men and women in the study rated as strongly associated with men, it led them to question whether they would belong in that organisation. It will be interesting to see how ambient belonging plays out in the interiors of banking and financial institutions. Thank you, Cynthia Robert. And links to the references and research can be found on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. And remember, that's diversity with a C, not an S, where you can also sign up for early notifications of future episodes. Please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod. And you can find us on all good podcast channels. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a rating. It all helps promote the series. Now, let me just go back to this question about sort of driving change. We've talked about uh, corporate performance. We've talked about culture. We've talked about even environmental uh, sort of conditions. Are there any other key drivers that will encourage the next generation into the world of financial services, into the city, where they may be feeling excluded today? Well, I, I think the key actually is to get to uh, girls and boys early, uh, basically, so that the kind of stereotypes that can form in their view uh, or the view of their parents or their teachers about, you know, what girls do, what boys do, for example, uh, aren't too, you know, hardwired before they, they, they get older. Um, you know, and one of the things that um, I was really uh, delighted to be able to do uh, last year was to go into uh, an all-girls school in Tulse Hill, um, which was, you know, sort of 80% black, really, um, and talk to the girls there about ambition and, and career prospects. And particularly, I focused on how the world of work is changing and how actually um, they're, they're crying out in the tech world, as we've heard, for uh, girls that can code, for example. So rather than thinking about maybe more traditional kind of things that they might have been focused on in the past, dare I say it, like, you know, hairdressing or beauticians or whatever, to, to think maybe about getting the kind of skills that would really make them invaluable uh, to, to organisations. And, um, you know, I think really to have a higher ambition, really, for, for themselves and to really uh, to embrace the education, the, the opportunities that they had. Uh, but, but you know, for, for me, a lot of this is about organisations reaching out to those schools and creating the connections uh, with them because uh, often um, those girls, their parents maybe don't come from, you know, the city or uh, from financial institutions. Uh, so, you know, I think it, it, it behoves us in the city to reach out to these schools uh, and uh, to really start to get the message across that um, you know, they've got opportunities, we need them, and um, you know, how can we work together to help uh, you know, change their ambitions and bring them through? And that completely aligns with uh, one of our previous guests, actually, Miranda Braun, who came on and, and talked about the, the importance of role modelling and, and about uh, setting ambition and, and encouraging girls, actually girls and boys, in fact, actually to, to be much more ambitious in, in their expectations and to show that there is a career path there, which I, think, which I think is wonderful. But I think about your world, Steve, which is around data and security and, and technology. Let's, let's wrap 
wrap it up in a neat bundle of technology. Is this what you're seeing or are, are, are the d- dynamics different? Yes and no. So, you know, through the initiative, I totally agree with Robert. You know, having spoken at many schools, you get exactly the same thing. And it's it's one of our key drivers as well is around social mobility. You, you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, if if you're in that family that, that, that hasn't got mum and dad potentially working at all, well, then that's going to limit whether you're a boy or girl, what you believe is possible for you and equally those links to them. Then in terms of, say, in the, the experience end of the market, yes and no, again, because, you know, we, if you look at a lot of foreign countries, um, say India, for instance, they were very quick to jump on outsourcing as an opportunity um, and you see a lot of, Indian developers, coders, um, project managers, you know, the whole spectrum of the tech world. Um, obviously, the challenges can then be communication skills and so on that can be the barrier. But actually, the competence and being able to do it and actually in that country, having the, the skill and talent pipeline coming through, they've got it. But it's then sort of being able to bring that over to the UK or into other countries um, and have it that it's recognised and utilised um, to the same level and same degree. Um, so, yeah, what we do is you know, it's all about engagement for us. Um, so rather than, you know, you can put a job ad up on a job board and have people apply, you know, the key is actually going out to market um, to build communities within these talent pools, within those areas, and that's across all strands. So we host many events to have it that we'll have women-only events if it's uh, you know, it's so determined in their community. And there's a lot of communities out there like the Develop Her Network, Ada's List, within the women's space. But then equally, there's groups and communities across all areas. So we look to have it that we engage and host um, and support across all those spectrums um, so that then as well, our brands aligned to those communities to have it that the CVs then come to us. And do you think we have a way to go in each of those areas or it will the really unlocking moment be when those interest groups begin to interact so the, the inclusion comes together or is that too soon? I think some are more developed and, you know, obviously we've spoke a lot around gender balance today. Um, and I think at the moment is, it's really up there. It's to say it is in vogue is probably the wrong way to describe it, but it is, it's, it's on a lot of people's agendas. So it's, it's getting that spotlight. So it's getting the momentum. Um, yeah, there are other more challenging ones. So we, we support a transgender group called Transformation. We host groups with them, um, host events. And again, it's, it's eye-opening. Um, but it's probably a more challenging area of diversity. Um, I think for organisations, it depends where they are on their maturity level. You know, if, you, if you're starting to look at diversity, um, I don't think I'm wrong in saying you might not look at transgender being your first topic because it might be too much for people to, to comprehend and, and, and understand. But actually, if you look at gender balance in tech, for instance, well, it's very evident. It's very clear. It's very understanding. Most people tend to get it as well in the sense that there'll be lots of mums and dads out there that have got daughters that want them to have the same opportunities. And actually, we had a guest on uh, uh, another podcast from the Makers Academy. And and one of the arguments that he was putting forward is uh, Ruben from Makers Academy. He, he was saying that actually it could be a very leapfrogging moment when you begin to understand diversity and inclusion through the eyes and, the, and the, the lens of somebody who's going through that transgender journey. You begin to realize that actually some of those unconscious bias, 
biases are so prevalent that it can actually be very enlightening and very sort of leapfrogging. Um, Robert, what are the big things that you're sort of thinking about at the moment in, in the context of that, that entire spectrum? Yeah, I, I, I think we, what we've been reflecting on is the way that the workplace is going to change, the kind of workforce we're going to need in the future. And, you know, when I talk to major companies about what they're looking for, they're looking for employees that can basically upskill themselves with support, uh, where they've got a mentality of lifelong learning. Because basically, you know, whatever gender or whatever uh, spectrum of diversity and inclusion we're on, um, we all need to be able to develop our skills for the future world where, you know, 35% of the jobs, for example, don't even exist yet, for example. So, um, you know, how are we going to change in, in that environment? So we basically uh, need to be able to empower uh, all of our people with that ability to, uh, to, to learn, develop, uh, adjust uh, their careers and, um, and, and what they're focusing on so that uh, we can have the workforce that can work alongside the robots, uh, work with the automation that we're going to see uh, you know, in the new world that's going to come. So uh, I think you know, adaption, lifelong learning, upskilling, those are the key messages that I want to bring. Uh, Robert, Steve, we're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid, but I just want to thank you both for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for your time. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto-Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.